Before we look into the word, let us all bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace this afternoon now. O Lord, where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life and how much we need them in the day and age in which we live even now? Bless us as we will look into your word, give utterance unto the weak vessel of clay and open hearts that we may all uh, receive it in meekness and mingled with faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. Luke, chapter 3, starting to read at verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip Tetrarch of Idorea and of the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he came into and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith, Unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart unto him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all the men mused in their hearts of, of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I 
cometh the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor, and he will gather the wheat into his garner, <clears throat> but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things he preached in exhortation. Many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. I've read up to and including verse 18, and may the Lord bless the reading of this word. <coughs> this chapter came to mind this morning. I wasn't expecting to preach. I thought Brother Edmund would be here. But this chapter came into mind because of some of the things that had been going on in the past days, past weeks. Um, I'm drawn and attracted to the verse here that says, Then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? If you read the parallel passage in, in Matthew chapter 3, it actually says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to his baptism. They came to him basically to find out who is this man tempting him perhaps. And in response to that, he said, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who told you this? How did you learn of this, that you want to be baptized now? Did you really come because you were convicted of your sin? Or did you come for another reason? And the picture here is, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he gives you the picture of this fire. If I go back to Matthew 3, it's very similar wording. And Matthew was actually a, a very close disciple. He was one of the first few of the disciples that were called. It has very same, a similar wording, and it should be. He says, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance and say not unto Abraham your father that uh, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And then he goes straight into it and says, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The imagery that is brought here is very similar <clears throat> to the imagery that is brought forth in the book of Malachi. And I know that we have been studying Malachi at CFG and there's been sermons on it in this church in the recent weeks where he talks about this messenger messenger is nothing but the word malach 
and Malachi means my messenger. Jesus is this messenger that was prophesied that will come suddenly to his temple. Come to the temple, why? Because that's where the priests were. That's where the worship was. And he is, Jesus is called the messenger of the covenant here. Why? Because he sealed the covenant in his own blood. And they said, who may abide at his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. And he shall, pure, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, the sons of Aaron, the priesthood. And purge them as gold that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. The picture here of, of this fleeing from the wrath to come, it, I was vividly reminded of that with the events that are unfolding in Australia at this very moment. Where one third of all of their vegetation is on fire, it's a flame. And if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Because it's destroying a third, if you will, of the vegetation in Australia. There is something like 200 wildfires all over the map. You take a, I just saw this morning a satellite picture at night, and you see Australia, especially the, the southeast and, and, and the, the northeast coast all around, and then on the west coast and the north, fire burning. And it is estimated that over about a half a billion, I'm not making this up, 480, over 480 million, which is a half a billion animals, will be destroyed. And some people say, well, how were the dinosaurs extinguished? Oh, the meteorite came and smashed them up and caused this big cloud to destroy all the vegetation. Who knows how it happened? But before our very eyes, we see this, as James says, that the, the tongue is, is, is an evil, a world of iniquity. It sets on course, sets on fire the course of nature. It's destructive. That's the picture that James gives of the destructiveness of the tongue. But here he says that God will send forth this fire. It will burn like an oven. This day will burn like an oven to judge sin. There's going to be this destruction. And I, you know, I remember them singing at camp in a very joyful way. God is going to set this world on fire like they're happy about it. There's nothing happy about God setting this world on fire for the sinner. It's not something that we rejoice in that God is going to set this world on fire. But it was a, it's a vivid picture today of how God has allowed this thing to happen in this great continent, almost the size of, of America, where a half a billion creatures are going to be annihilated. And that's the picture that John the Baptist gives. Says... This world is headed for destruction. The wrath of God is coming. Who has warned you to flee from this wrath like animals scurrying? Fleeing the fire, fleeing the front that is, is heading towards them. 
It's a very sad picture. I got a call from a very distraught per person yesterday. Very sad. More sad for the animals than for the people. And how it has an effect on us. And the stress it brings about. And the pain and the suffering. And to say such a beautiful creation is being destroyed. But it's only a sign of the wrath that is to come. It's only a sign of the wrath that is to come. And it's not that we, we minimise it, the fact that they are animals. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we heard this morning about the adoption of sons, and he's speaking here about the adoption of sons, using the same terminology as we, you know, he's given us a spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But then he goes on to say, and if we are children, then heirs and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be altogether glorified together. For I reckon that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earth. Now, listen to this. He's using the word creature. He's using the word creature. A creature is something that is created, it's made. And that could mean anything. It could mean me. I was made. I'm a creature. I'm not an animal in the sense of uh, 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 someone without a soul. I'm, I'm not an, an inanimate object. I'm a creature. But I'm a special type of creature made above every other creature that God made. He made man. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. When the real sons of God will be manifest, who they are, they'll be revealed, who the true worshippers of God are. For the creature was made subject to vanity. God made the creature subject to vanity, subject to temporalness, and subject to, to emptiness at times. Not willingly, not was the creature didn't want to be here. The creature didn't wish it in himself to be here. He he came here. Like we like the saying goes, you can't choose who your parents are. You were born into this world, but the parents can choose you. But by reason of him who has subjected us the same in hope. He's made us subject to this suffering, to this pain, to this sorrow, to these difficulties, to these trials that we face on this earth. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This whole world has been corrupted, including the creature, especially man. Deliver them from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And then he says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation, not just this special creature man, but all of creation groans and travails in pain together until now. 
We've been made subject to vanity, to temporalness, to corruption, to pain, to suffering. And I had to tell this soul yesterday, read Psalm 90. The only psalm apparently that was written by Moses, according to those that know, that says God is God from everlasting to everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. But he sends men to destruction. He sends men to destruction. He gives them the pain and the suffering. He allows these things to happen. He doesn't will it to, to aimlessly make us suffer and, 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 and be in pain and suffering, but for a redemptive purpose. For a redemptive purpose. Because he says, see this suffering? See this destruction? Now you return. Jesus in, I think it was Luke chapter, was it 13? When he says, you think that those uh, Galileans whose blood was mixed with their sacrifice are bigger sinners than any other sinner? But except you repent, the same thing shall happen to you. You think that those upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and destroyed were bigger sinners than any other sinner? Nay, but unless you repent, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, the Tower of Siloam won't fall on them, but something catastrophic and something different that is very painful and much worse will happen to them. When Jesus told this, the person that... Um, was it the, 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 the tenth leper that came back and praised him, thanked him for, for healing him? He says, now go and sit no more, lest something worse happen to you. He says, all of creation groans. And we have people today, people today are being stirred up by what's happening to God's green earth, by what's happening to um, climate change, by what's happening to the forest, deforestation for the sake of filthy lucre. You get young girls going to the UN and protesting and whether I accept, support that or not, it's another story. But people are so concerned about God's green earth. <coughs> That's when they start to react. But what is more important? Not that it's not important. But what is the real issue at hand? The real issue at hand is here. Far worse things are going to happen to this world than forest fires and cute koalas and kangaroos being devoured by flames. It's sad. What happens to your soul? What happens to your dear ones? What happens to your family? What happens to your friends when they reject the one and true and only God if they're not being warned to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus says in Matthew 16, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What can he give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. 
The, the Shakespearean king, I forget his name there, was it Lear? Says a, he says, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. When he was looking for healing and he needed someone to do something for him. My kingdom for a horse. I'll give you my kingdom. Get me a horse so someone can go and get me healing. What would you give in exchange for your soul? Your kingdom? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And God is warning us in Romans chapter 8 is a warning to us. It's an encouragement to, to the believer. It's an encouragement to the believer that though we do go through suffering and though we do go through calamities, we are saved by hope because we are bound to God by the love of God, which nothing can tear us apart except for sin. Who can separate us from the love of God? Shall sword, famine, persecution? Nothing. If we are bound together with God through love, but if we don't have that love that binds us to God, what hope do we have? says the same thing in Malachi chapter 4 for, God, for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea and all that do wickedly shall be a stubble and the day that cometh shall burn them up saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch there'll be no more offspring you'll be destroyed so in the very next Chapter or book, Matthew and, and Luke uh, reiterates it. He says that <clears throat> the day of the Lord is going to be like that. The wrath of God is going to come upon the sinner. And some people try to, how do you say, soften that down a bit. There's this... Um, view that God is not really a God of wrath. He's not really a God of anger. There's a view that Jesus didn't die as a penalty for our sin, but rather to satisfy and appease God because God would never be wrathful to his own son and abuse his own son by killing him on the cross. There's this big debate in Christian circles called the penal substitution versus the satisfaction theory or the, or the victorious uh, victor theory that Christ just overcame evil and that was the meaning of the cross. I'm not going to get into that, but what is for sure in, in Luke 3, in Matthew 3, in Ephesians 2, that there is a thing called the wrath of God. That people don't want to hear about. They don't want to know a God that can display wrath because it's contrary to God's love. I think I mentioned from the pulpit before, if you look in the Old and New Testaments, I, I, I did a count one day where it specifically says that God loved, that God loved him or that, that God Love is upon you. There's 30 times in the Old Testament and 30 times in the New. About the same. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you say, yeah, once is enough to tell us that God loves us. But the, there's emphasis not only on God's love, but especially on God's judgment. There will be a judgment. There will be a time when God says enough is enough. And people just go, keep on going on their merry way until something happens like last, last week. Not Australia now, I'm talking about in Iran. Where there's a threat of global warfare again. Where there's now a threat of nuclear warfare again. And if you think Australian fires are devastating, you just have to look at Fukushima and Chernobyl and you'll see what devastation is all about on a very small scale. But when it becomes global, I remember my father quoting me whether it was, the context was correct or not, but he's quoting Isaiah. He says, and I looked up and behold, I saw no man. If you, do, if you look at pictures of Hiroshima and Nagasaki ever after fat man and a little boy were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those are the names they gave to the bombs. The devastation, complete obliteration. Where the elements shall melt with fervent heat, 2 Peter 3 says. This is the wrath to come. No, you won't hear this sermon in maybe in other churches. You may not hear this sermon in other churches. What you may hear is, God loves you. Just give. Just be nice. But those that truly love and care for you will tell you and will remind you that there is a day coming. There is a day where everything will burn up. The earth will be destroyed. The heavens shall be destroyed. God will make a new earth and new heavens where peace and righteousness shall reign. Just over the dinner table, somebody told me that when they heard that Canada may go to war to join the US against Iran, that she got choked up. She couldn't breathe for a little while. Just read the Gospels. Read what Jesus himself said. Men's hearts will be failing them for fear. This world can be a very glum, gloomy place. In a twinkling of an eye, it can change. The person that I was talking to last night thought, this is it. There's nothing else to live for. All the animals are gone. Australia the beautiful has become a furnace, a fire. It's not going to be the same anymore. Maybe it's a wake-up call. Maybe it's a wake-up call to us who have plans for the future. When I get older, when I make money, when I get this and I travel and I do that and I get married and I do all of these things, I'm going to enjoy this, I'm going to travel. Where are you going to travel to? 
nuclear wastelands, scorched earths, Just like the dinosaurs perished, we may, we may not see a lot of God's creation that he has created today. And, it's, and it's, if it's sad to us, how much more God? Can you imagine that? If it's sad to us to see such a beautiful creation that God had made being destroyed and wasted, what do you think God is doing when he looks down upon this earth that he made? The corruption, the destruction, the abuse. You got plans? You have plans for the future? You can't plan for anything today. You can't plan for tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to do. Our young men won't know if they're going to get conscripted into the, into the army. You know, 70, 80 years ago, it was like that. You don't know. You get baptized, you're off, to the, you're off to the army. You're into prison. You're into concentration camps. You're into forced labor. You're torn away from your family. You can't see children for six years. One thing that we have to believe you will not find heaven on earth we will not find heaven on earth the way we think it is because the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation it, 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 Jesus said for the kingdom of God is within you Matthew chapter 6 so stop hoarding stop, stop worrying about tomorrow stop seeking for riches don't don't, don't go putting your riches in places you can ne never get to. You'll never be able to use. That will waste away, that will burn away, that, well, that moth corrupts, that rust corrupts, that moth eats away. For where your treasure is, your true treasure, there will your heart be. And if our heart is on earthly things, on physical things, on temporal things, our joy will be very, very short-lived. There's only one safe place to be. There's only one satisfactory, fulfilling, glorious place to be. You could be in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You could be there. But if the Son of Man is there with you, who cares? If God is with you, they won't even smell smoke on you when he delivers you. But you could be in the best paradise you want, the beaches of Phuket and, and, and Bali and Thailand, and then you're just completely washed away and destroyed by a tsunami. It's all gone. Yes, God is going to send this world on fire. We don't rejoice in that. The sinner will perish. But what does it say for you? Don't say, oh, the sinner's going to perish. Look at 
who needs, like John the Baptist says, repent and bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. And don't say within yourself, but my mom was a Christian, but my dad was a Christian, but I went to church all my life. Like they were saying, Abraham's our father. Don't say that. God's able to make of these stones children unto Abraham if he wanted to. I pray that we will look and observe around about us and see that God's word is being fulfilled, but that we'd also look inside of us and see that God wants us to draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to us. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Brother, please find him. In closing, I'd just like to read from the book of John, John the Gospel. Basically, the last farewell speech to his disciples before he would go to do what he came for, and that is to die on the cross. He says, verse 32 of John 16, Behold, let's go to 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. May the Lord bless his word. To him be the glory. Amen. This concludes our service.